All right, well, hey guys, welcome to the Simple Power Podcast, where we think practically about the presence and the power of God. And by the way, let me just mention at the beginning here that those two really go hand in hand. The presence and the power of God cannot be separated. They go together. Really, when we talk about the presence and the power of God, we're really talking about two sides of the same coin. You carry the presence of God because the Spirit of God lives within you. You are closer to God than you can possibly, probably than any of us realize, than any of us imagine, because there's actually nothing that separates us from God. God has come to live inside of us to make his home within us, and he likes to be home. He doesn't leave us when we mess up or when we do something stupid, when we think a bad thought, when we forget to read our Bible. A lot of people think that they're separated from God because of their sin or because of their past mistakes, because of their failings, because of their misconceptions or their shortcomings or their insecurities or maybe a stigma that's on your life because of what other people think or other people's opinions or just whatever the case may be. There's nothing that you could put in that column that separates you from God. Absolutely nothing. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you become aware of that, When you become aware of that reality, the more aware you become of the reality that you are, that you carry his presence, that you are always in the presence of God, the more you become aware of the reality of his presence that lives within you and that rests upon you, then actually the miraculous and supernatural living and walking in the supernatural power of God really becomes a normal part of life. It becomes a normal part of everyday life. The more you become aware of the presence of God, the more that you really begin to access and to see the power of God and the grace of God flowing through you. I mean, just look at Jesus. It's amazing to me that in John chapter 14, Jesus started to have this conversation with his disciples. And these are the last days of Jesus's life before he would die on the cross. And he starts having this conversation with his disciples about the Holy Spirit, about how he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And he actually says these words, that it's actually expedient for you or it's to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking. It's to your advantage. I've been walking with you guys for three years now. It's to your advantage that I go away. And they're like, how could that be possible? How could it be possible that it's advantageous for us that you go away? They didn't understand that, but Jesus began to explain, it's to your advantage that I go away because when I go away, I'll send to you another comforter, another helper. I'll send to you the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's going to lead you and to guide you into all truth. He's going to remind you of all these things that I've spoken to you, the things that you've learned from me, that I've taught you, that you've seen me do. And so Jesus is, is showing them that there's a greater invitation for them, even than what they had experienced up to that point, which was incredible. They walked with Jesus and they experienced the miraculous and the signs and the wonders, and they saw Jesus do it, but they didn't just see him do it and that was it, but they actually got to partake of it as well and to walk in it and to experience it for themselves. And so Jesus is like, I'm going to send you 
the Holy Spirit, and he's going to lead you into all truth. And this is even better for you. It's advantageous for you that I go away because when I go away, I'm going to send you the the Greek word, the parakletos, the one alongside with you, the one who's with you. He will live inside of you, not just be near you or close to you like I am right now, but he'll actually live within you. In other words, it's an invitation for them to with the power of the Holy Spirit, experience what Jesus experienced, being led by the Spirit of God, because the same Spirit that was in Christ, as he did all the miracles that he did, opening all the blind eyes and raising the dead and cleansing the lepers and and speaking prophetically into the lives of people and everything that Jesus did, it's modeling and demonstrating the heart of the Father, but it's also modeling and demonstrating something to his disciples and therefore to us as well, modeling and demonstrating the fact that we get to walk in that same power, that same authority. Jesus would say later on in Matthew 28, he's like, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Then the next statement is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's like, all authority has been given to me So now I'm sending you. And so the implication there is that we are actually walking in the very power and authority of Jesus. And it makes sense because it's the same spirit living within you and me that was in Jesus as he walked on this earth and performed all of the miracles that he did. Jesus said some crazy things that really challenge my own theology, but he said some crazy things like the works that you've seen me do, you'll do as well. And even greater works than these you will do. Why? Because I go to my father. It's the same thing. It's when I go to my father, I will send to you the Holy Spirit. He will testify of me. He will lead you into all truth. He will live inside of you. He'll remind you of everything that I've taught you. And he will lead you perfectly. The same spirit of God that lived in Jesus now lives in you and me. And again, it's that presence. His presence is with us all the time. And the more we just become aware of his presence, the more we become aware of what we carry, the more we really get to experience the benefits of that and experiencing his power working and flowing through us. That's what's available to us. So when you look at everything that Jesus did, everything that he modeled, everything that he demonstrated, he's not just showing us, oh, well, this is awesome. This is great that God can do these things. I mean, yeah, what the disciples were seeing was awesome, but it was more than that. It was, this is actually what's available to you. This is what's available to every single one of God's kids, every single son and daughter, every child of God. This is what's available to you. I'm inviting you into this. So Jesus would model something to them and then he would actually pull them into it so that they could be a part of it and they could experience the supernatural power of God working through them as well. And that's the invitation that's available to every single one of us, but even in a greater way than what was available to the disciples as they walked with Jesus throughout the Gospels, it's actually the same invitation that's available to you and me today is what the apostles, the disciples, what we see them modeling in the book of Acts because now they're under the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of them individually and they're being led by the Spirit of God doing just absolutely tremendous things. Like you look at Acts chapter 2, the very first time that the Spirit of God was poured out Peter stood up and he preached the message and 3,000 people got saved that day. 
like incredible things, incredible moves of God taking place in, in, in their lives. And that's the invitation that's available to every single one of God's kids. Now, for every single one of God's kids, it's not going to look the same. It's not going to necessarily always look for every person like standing up and preaching a message and thousands of people get saved. Maybe for you, it's the way you minister to your children. Maybe for you, it's the way you go to a friend's house and and you recognize that there's something going on there and you get to minister. You get to step through into that situation because of the authority that you carry. Maybe it's the authority uh, that you carry as you as you go to your job or your business or whatever it is that you do. And people just begin to recognize that there's something different about you because you carry something, (laughs) really not something, you carry someone, you carry the presence of God with you everywhere that you go. And so things begin to shift and things begin to change when you're around. Atmospheres begin to shift. You can go into a situation that's just in turmoil and you go into that situation and and it just becomes more peaceful because of what you carry, because of the God that you know, because of what you have learned to become aware of the reality of the presence of God that rests upon your life that you carry with you. All right. And so this is the invitation that's available to every single one of us. And what I wanted to do this week, actually, was I wanted to take a look at Luke chapter 2. Uh, excuse me, not Luke chapter 2. I wanted to take a look at John chapter 2, this uh, first miracle that's attributed to Jesus, the turning of the water into the wine. I wanted to study this because I think that it really invites us into the mind and the heart of God. I think that all of the miracles that Jesus performed do that because the miracles, you know, the Bible talks about signs and wonders. What does a sign do? A sign points you to something. The sign is not the destination. So the miracle is not the destination. The opening of the eyes of the blind, that's an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing, but it's not the destination. It's always supposed to point you toward Jesus. It's supposed to point you toward the heart of God, toward the heart of the Father, so that we can see, okay, this is what God loves. This is something that God desires. This is something that God cares about, that he values. And so it's not just something miraculous that happens, but then you move on from it but it draws you deeper into a connection with Jesus himself. Even the word of God, as we study his word, it's all meant to lead us deeper into an encounter with him. So that's what these miracles do. And I really think that this miracle in John chapter two just really beautifully demonstrates and puts on display the nature of God, the heart of God, what he desires, what he values. And it really invites us into his world. I think that Jesus here in showing his disciples what he showed them here in John chapter 2. He's inviting them into his world to see something that they hadn't seen before. All right, so in John chapter 2 verse 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So just a little bit of background. If you go back to John chapter 1, so just a few verses back, Jesus really is beginning to call his disciples unto himself. In, in John chapter 1, talks about Andrew. We see uh, how Andrew goes after his, his brother, Simon, who would later become Peter. We, we see Nathaniel and Philip. And so Jesus is beginning to just kind of put his crew together and, uh, f- and just form his group of disciples. Now, it says that it's three days later. So on the third day, so this is very new for any of the disciples that are walking with Jesus at this point. It's very new to them, but they go to this wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So Mary was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. 
Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That used to bother me when Jesus would say like woman, because in my culture where I'm from, if I said woman to my mom or to any woman, it was, it was bad news. I wouldn't do that. Don't do that, men, because in our culture today, it means something different than it meant back then. Jesus wasn't being disrespectful. His tone of voice there wasn't like, woman, what does this have to do with me? He was respectful, okay? So he wasn't being disrespectful by saying woman to his mother. That was what they did, okay? So he's just like, look, I, I get it. You, you have an issue here. At this party, they ran out of wine. You want more wine. You know who I am, but you don't understand. He says these words to her. He says, my time has not yet come. What does that mean? Jesus was saying that it's not time for me to be public on the scene yet for people to start to see the miraculous things that I can do through the spirit of God. Because once I start doing that, once Jesus started to really demonstrate the power of God, it started to push him toward the cross. So what Jesus was actually saying to his mother here in these verses, look, if I do this miracle right now, then the cat's going to be out of the bag sooner than I expected it to. And it's actually going to accelerate my journey toward the cross. He didn't explain all that. He just said, my time has not yet come. But that's what he meant. The time wasn't, it, it wasn't that time yet. That's why Jesus would often tell people, especially early on in the gospels, he would do something miraculous and he would say something like, now don't tell anybody what just happened to you. Don't tell anybody about this. Why? Because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for it to be public knowledge yet because every miracle that Jesus did that was public, he got more fame. He got more notoriety. People began to recognize who he was and it just began to cause stirring and uproar. Remember, this is the Jewish people, but they were under Roman law and there was no place for any kind of uprising or for Jesus to be teaching thousands of people in a field somewhere. That wasn't good because to them, that was like, is this guy inciting rebellion? Is he inciting riot? Is it something like that? So every step that Jesus took, of course, he always offended the religious people and they're the ones who ultimately called for him to be put to death and all of that. And so it was just perpetuating that. And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, if I do this for you, then it's actually pushing me closer to the cross quicker than what I had expected. But his mother said to the servants in verse five, whatever he says to you, do it. So somehow his mom, from whatever that conversation was that they had, somehow she left that conversation recognizing, okay, my son's going to do this for me. In other words, I think that as the mother of Jesus, she put some pressure on the relationship. And I want to tell you that as a child of God, it's okay for you to put pressure on that relationship. In other words, to put a demand on on the power of God, that when you walk into a situation, when you walk into something that's impossible for you or impossible for the group that you're in or whatever the case may be, but you recognize that you're on an assignment from God, that you actually have a right, you have an authority to put a demand on the power of God to see his power work and to flow through you. You're a willing vessel. That's all we are. We're just willing vessels, but we get to experience breakthrough and the power of God flowing through us when we place a demand on the power of God. In other words, we put pressure on that relationship. So this is kind of like Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's like, you know, I brought you into this world. I've been with you all these years. I've been faithful to the promises of God that he's given me to me for you. I've raised you. You know, every mother can relate to this. You know, I brought you into this world. They're putting that pressure on 
the relationship. And so I think that this is what's going on here. And so Jesus, it doesn't say that he, you know, changed his mind or anything like that, but it does, it's obvious that he responded to this request from his mother. Here's the other thing that I want to point out here. A couple chapters later here in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus would say these words. He would say that I can only do what I see my father do. I don't do anything by myself. I don't do anything in my own authority. I only do what I see my father do. And so Jesus did not do this miracle outside of the will of the father. He couldn't have done that. He wouldn't have done that. And so I don't know if that conversation that took place between Jesus and his mother, if he had already decided that he was going to do it, or I I sort of imagine it like this, that after Jesus' mother comes and talks to him and puts this request, puts this pressure on the relationship, this is just me in my imagination, so this is not in the Bible, just thinking out loud here. Jesus goes to his father and he's like, all right, dad, mom wants me to do this thing. It's not my time yet. Are you in this? And whatever the case may be, whether that kind of conversation took place or not, it's not important. But what is important is the fact that Jesus recognized that he was on assignment from his father, that his father was in it. Because if his father was not in it, then he would not have done it, or he would have become a liar based on what we see in John chapter 5, verse 19. And so Jesus only did what he saw his father do, and so he was on assignment. And I just want to say to you that there are times where you might be in a place and you might not be thinking anything spiritual. You might not be thinking about about ministry or anything else. You might be there just to relax or have fun or have a good time or whatever the case may be. But then in the moment, you recognize that you are on an assignment from God. And I just want to encourage you to just step into that environment, step into that situation, step into that authority that you carry. There's so many examples of this that I could give. But I want to give a really simple example because I think that this is so often how it happens, but often how we miss it because we're not, we don't pay attention to the little things. We, 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 we think that the power of God has to be this big, huge, miraculous, showy thing. And sometimes it is, but that's not always the case. And so, uh, recently I was, I was, my wife and I, we uh, were traveling somewhere. And so we had stopped in at the home of a friend of ours, rest time, recovery time to get off the road. We were just talking, we were having a conversation and just sitting around on some couches talking. And I, I recognized that my friend, uh, she was she was coughing, she was drinking some tea, she was having trouble with her throat, her throat was hurting. And it was just like one of those things was just getting worse and worse. And we we're just sitting there talking and I wasn't there to minister. But then all of a sudden I just, I, I saw what my father was doing. It wasn't anything crazy profound, but I just, in the spirit, I saw myself praying for her a certain way. And then so... I just said, hey, is it okay if I pray for you real quick? We just thought what we were doing. I prayed, just quick, simple declaration based on what I had seen in the spirit. And she recovered. That thing went away. She woke up the next morning. She had to get up early to, to do work and, and homeschooling and stuff like that. And she, she said, when you prayed for me, I just felt like that whole thing that was trying to come upon me, it just turned back and went the other way. And so sometimes it's so simple, it's so subtle, it's not this big, huge, crazy, cloud-parting kind of a thing. You know, when Jesus says things like, I do what I see my Father do, that doesn't always have to be this big, huge thing. Like I'm saying, sometimes it's so simple, it's so subtle, it's just in the moment you're there and you recognize, okay, God, what are you doing right now? And you recognize that he's got you on assignment. Just step into it because he wants to use you, he wants to work through you, he wants you to be a part of of what he's doing to partner with him in bringing breakthrough into people's lives, all right? 
Verse 6, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So these weren't some small little containers. These were 20 to 30 gallon containers, and there were six of them. Jesus says, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And, and they took it. Verse 9, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, uh, I lost my place, when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. I love it. I have so much to say. I'm trying not to take too much more time. I've already been talking a lot. But I really do think that it's significant that Jesus chose this miracle as his first or the father chose this miracle for Jesus or whatever happened. But this was the first miracle that we really that we really see as, as far as it being credited to Jesus as his first miracle. He's at a wedding and they're out of wine and they've probably already had too much to drink in the first place because they ran out. Right. And they're there, but they don't want the party to stop and they don't want it to become an embarrassing situation for the family who's putting this show on and and all that kind of stuff because there would be embarrassment there. Right. And so the father's aware of all of this stuff. And the, the heart of Mary, the, the heart of Jesus' mother is, look, these are people that I know. I imagine she was invited. So I imagine that there was a friendship there. There was some kind of relationship where, there. And it's like uh, her stepping in and intervening in that situation to request of Jesus to do something miraculous to save these people from that embarrassment. And I think it just really gives us a, a clue or a key into something that God values, it's not just the big, huge miracles that are awesome, and I, I'm so grateful for those. This was not a life-and-death situation. This wasn't somebody on their deathbed, you know, dying of a terminal disease and getting healed, which is amazing. But it's also really awesome when God takes a situation that I would consider to be a little thing. You know, this is not life and death. This will be embarrassing if it doesn't work out. Right. But no one's going to die. No one's going to get killed. No one's life is going to be over. They're going to get over it. But the father cares about what we care about. I think that this just so beautifully demonstrates the heart of God toward us as his sons and daughters, as his kids, that he just loves us that much. And he cares that much about us, that he actually values the things that we value, that he cares about the things that we care about. No, not getting drunk at a party. It's not what I'm talking about. But I think that this also points to something else. I think it's significant that why did Jesus come in the first place? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save us. He came to redeem us. Why? According to Ephesians chapter 5, so that he could present us to himself as a pure and spotless bride, as his church. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus came to this earth for a bride. He came to save us and to redeem us for himself because we belong to him, because we are his bride and he's our bridegroom. The church is the bride of Christ. That's why he came. And so I think it's really significant, at least symbolic or whatever you want to call it, that as the first public miracle that Jesus did, he comes to a wedding and a place where the celebration is about to end because they're out of wine 
And Jesus just keeps that celebration going. And I think that this shows us something about the nature of God, that he's actually not as stuck up as we think he is. He's not as uptight as a lot of people think that he is. Jesus was not like the Pharisees and the religious leaders that were walking around like so piously, religiously, sanctimoniously, whatever, just walking around like, oh, this is so great. And and the Pharisees would walk around and people would look at them like, oh, I could never be like that. Look at these men of God. Look at these holy men. And they received all of these accolades and all of this recognition from man for being so holy and above everybody else. And the idea was, oh, we're just regular common people. We could never measure up to the holiness of these men. And what Jesus came to show was the opposite. He came to demonstrate the heart of the father to show us who God is and everything that Jesus did. It always modeled to us the father perfectly. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He never acted on his own authority, but on the authority that the father had given him, he only did what he saw the father do. He only said the words that he heard the father say. And so that's what he did. He modeled that and demonstrated it to us, but not in this way of, oh, well, this is so outside of your reach, but no, as an invitation to this, this way that I'm living is actually possible for you to live this way as well, because the spirit that's inside of me, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send you the spirit of God. He's going to live inside of you. And so the very things that I've done, you'll be able to do these as well. And even greater works than these you will do. Jesus wasn't boring. He wasn't, he wasn't like that. And shame on us if we present this gospel message in such a way that is boring to people. I say this all the time, but life with Jesus is an adventure. It's an adventure to walk with Jesus. It's an adventure to follow God. This is not a restrictive way of living. He gives us so much freedom, so much more than anybody living apart from Christ could ever possibly experience. He gives us so much freedom to become who he created us to be. You know me. I'm not talking here about getting drunk with Jesus. That's not what this is about, but this shows us so much about the nature and the character of the Father. It demonstrates his love, his compassion. It shows us what he values, how much he values people, how much he values relationship. I think it shows how he values celebration. And I think that this really points to a bigger picture of something that Jesus came to do, which was to receive his bride for himself. So he starts here at a party at a wedding where there's an opportunity for something to just go wrong, for there not to be enough and for the party to end early. And he's like, you know, with this group of people that, again, probably already had too much to drink. But he's like, I value you. I value these people. I value these relationships. And so he demonstrates compassion in such a practical way. We serve a God who wants us to enjoy him, to enjoy his presence, to enjoy the life that he's given to us. And look, he didn't make crummy wine. Any kind of wine would have passed. It was the custom you would give the good wine at the beginning. Then after people are drinking and their senses are, are are lessened, then you put out the wine that's not as good because people don't seem to notice it and they don't seem to care as much, right? Because their inhibitions aren't all the way up. Jesus created the good stuff. <laughs> he created the good stuff because that's just the nature of who he is. That's the kind of God that he is. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about this passage this week because it so, I think, beautifully demonstrates the nature and the character of God, and it really invites us into his world, and it shows us uh, so much about who God is. 
But again, the purpose of it is not to just look and to say, oh, that's so awesome what God did, but it's to look at it and to recognize, okay, well, this is actually the invitation that's available for me as well to walk in and to experience the supernatural power of God, the presence of God outflowing, working in my life and flowing through me in practical ways to the world around me. And finally, in verse 11, it says that Jesus, that when Jesus did this miracle, it demonstrated, it put his glory on display and his disciples and his disciples believed him. They saw him for who he was. Again, they had just begun to follow him. And this may have been the first time that they saw him do something miraculous. And it demonstrated his glory that even something like this, that it wasn't a life altering thing. It wasn't a, a you know life and death situation, but it put on display the glory of God. And when you step into a situation recognizing that you are on an assignment from your father in heaven and you see what your father is doing, it's an opportunity for you to just step into it with obedience and to put on display the nature and the character and the glory of God. So thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. Really appreciate you being here. Make sure if you're interested in any more resources like this, check out my website, simplepowermedia.com. There's a whole bunch of other stuff on there related to experiencing God's presence and God's power in practical ways. If you got anything out of this week's episode, share it with somebody that you think could benefit from it as well. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe to the Simple Power channel. And uh, I'd really appreciate it. You guys have an awesome, awesome week. And I look forward to being back with you next time. Thanks. Thanks.